In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Perhaps you've known someone like the woman in the gospel lesson today. Perhaps you are that woman. She was a bent woman. A woman stooped so much that she couldn't look up. And I wonder, you know, again, how much she missed with what was going on around her because she couldn't see. My first assumption would be that this woman had a disease or a deteriorating uh, issue with her spine, maybe osteoporosis or scoliosis, and it had bent her over for 18 years. A facilitator for a woman's gathering read this story and asked this question, what in your own experience might cause a woman to be bent over for 18 years. Without skipping a beat, one woman said, her children. (laughs) And then another one chimed in, her husband, after she picked up for him for 18 years. Then another woman said, maybe she was tired of working like a slave for minimum wage, or tired of working so hard at home for no wage at all. And then another woman said, maybe she had a doctorate in economics and found that nobody listened to her when she talked about global finance and tax structures and national deficits, but instead paid attention to the men in the room who hadn't read anything on the subject for years. Or perhaps every time she held her head up and tried to be somebody, the people around her, both male and female, did all they could to deflate her and diminish her again and again and again. I like these suggestions because maybe they open up our minds a little bit to new ways of identifying with this woman. Because all of us, in some way or another, are bent. At one time or another, we've been bent. And this passage is good news for us then. Back in the 60s, there was a lot of talk about body language and how important that was and how your body accurately reflects what's going on inside of you. If you were angry, you'd show it in your face. If you were afraid, your body would give that hint by just your posture. And in fact, we know that even animals can sense when we're afraid because of our body language. Jesus' diagnosis to her body language was that Satan had bound her for 18 long years. I don't exactly know what that means. It can simply be a way of attributing a debilitating disease to the power of evil in order to make it clear that she was not being punished by God. Or it may be a way of implying that her physical appearance was the result of a spiritual condition. 
Perhaps the bentness of this woman's body came from the oppression that she experienced within her family. Maybe her body was demonstrating the status of women in a culture where women were little more than property. As a physically disabled woman, she resorted to lurking at the edges of society, even in the synagogue where men could go in and ponder the nature of God's love, but she felt she had to stay away. So when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. And when he laid hands on her, immediately she stood up, praising God. The theologian Walter Wink, in his book Engaging the Powers, suggests that Jesus' actions represented a revolution happening in these seven short verses. In this short story, Jesus tries to wake people up to the kind of God that God is and the kind of life that God wants for them. He often talks about the reign of God, right? The kingdom of God where people have equal worth and all life has dignity. But then in the later part of his ministry, as he was heading toward Jerusalem for his final days, he begins to act things out in ways that were really dramatic. And here in the midst of a highly patriarchal culture, Jesus breaks at least six cultural rules. First, he speaks to this woman. In Jesus' day, in civilized society, Jewish men didn't speak to women in public. Remember the story in John where Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well? She was shocked because he would speak to him. The disciples scolded Jesus because they also were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. In speaking to her, he changes the paradigm of how people relate. Then he calls her to the center of the synagogue. By placing her in the geographic middle, he challenges the notion of male monopoly on access to the knowledge of God. Then he touches her, which revokes the holiness code, a code that protected men from the uncleanness of women and from their sinful seductiveness. And then he calls her, I don't know if you caught this in the gospel lesson, he calls her a daughter of Abraham. It's a term not found in any of the other prior Jewish literature. It's revolutionary because it was believed that women were saved through their men. To call her a daughter of Abraham is to make her a full-fledged member of the nation of Israel with equal standing as men before God. 
Then he heals her on the Sabbath day, on the holy day. And in doing this, he demonstrates God's compassion for people over ceremony, and he reclaims the Sabbath for the celebration of God's liberal goodness. And last but not least, Jesus challenges the ancient belief that her illness is a direct punishment from God for the sins that she's committed or that her family members have committed. He asserts that she is ill, not because she's done bad things, not because God has willed it, but because there is evil in the world. In other words, bad things do happen to good people. And Jesus did all those things in just a few seconds. The breaking of these six cultural rules didn't go unnoticed by the Jewish leaders. The leader of the synagogue was indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath. And he kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which to work. Come on those days to be cured and not on the Sabbath day. So the leader of the synagogue was shocked by this behavior. Here was a man who did not find a healing service listed in the order of worship that day, and he didn't like it, that a change had been made without his permission. He was like that usher in a church where a man under the influence staggered into the service, sat in the very front row, and as the preacher started his sermon, the gentleman shouted, Amen, or praise the Lord, or hallelujah, after almost every sentence. Which is not a bad thing, by the way. So the entire congregation became a little agitated by this unusual behavior, and the usher then made his way to the front of the church to escort this gentleman out. When the usher informed him that he was making too much noise... He said, well, brother, I've just got the Holy Spirit. To which the usher replied, well, you didn't get it here. You have to leave. (laughs) By the power of God, Jesus healed this bent woman. And the synagogue's leader's response was, well, you didn't get that power of God here not on the Sabbath. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox and his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? Jesus reacted with strong language because the leader of the synagogue just didn't get it. He had no concept of Jesus' new and radical understanding of the nature of God. Jesus saw God's will as focused on people, not only on the laws and the rules. The rules are there to help people, clearly, 
And we always say that the law of God is a good rule and guide and mirror for us as we reflect on our own lives. But in Mark, we hear Jesus saying, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. The Jewish leader pictured God as a rule maker and sinners as rule breakers and the upright as rule keepers. He reflected the understanding that being religious was about obeying the commandments. For him, God's rules had become ends in themselves. The rules were first, the needs of the people then were unimportant. How many ways is that way of thinking still active in our world today? Jesus rightly points out that the Jewish leader's rules allowed him to treat animals better than people. While this model is well represented in much of the Bible, with the law and all of that, Jesus presents a profoundly different view of God and sin and righteousness. And 2,000 years later, we still can't get rule-breaking out of our heads. For Jesus, God's chief concern was not about being obeyed, but about loving and caring for people. God was more than a rule-maker. God was a life-giver. And when we understand Jesus' view of God in that way, suddenly the focus moves from God's commands to God's love for people and the world. Commandments and rules and guidelines, traditions and laws, and even scripture are subordinate to the love of God. And that's where the gospel is good news for all of us. For we are bent people too. Life sometimes has a way of beating you down or zapping your enthusiasm or crushing your plans. And little by little by little, we find ourselves being bent over failures or disappointments or guilt and shame. We're like that bent woman lurking on the edges of the sanctuary, wondering if we can go in. But here we are. This is the place we can come, as bent as we might be, to find some focus and some healing, to find a place where we can be free for a moment of all that burdens us out there and receive what God has to offer. In this place, we know the spirit of God is alive. We receive good news and we gather together with that wonderful meal that says, I have conquered life and death for you. You are mine, you are mine always, and I will always be there for you. Amen.